We've been working our way through the epistle of James, and today we come to the final chapter, chapter 5 of James. We'll be reading the first six and a half verses. And I want to warn you, um, this is a heavy passage. Um, The overall theme of James is that our lives must conform to our faith. That we're supposed to live out our Christian faith, not just say we believe it. And he addresses a number of different ways that this is true. He's talked about dealing, you know, putting hope in God during times of trial. He's talked about bridling our tongues. He's talked about not being a lover of the world. He's talking about caring for the poor. And today, really, the topic is uh, one that fits under a number of those umbrellas. It has to do with trials. It has to do with not loving the world. It has to do also with caring for the poor. It's the topic of wealth or riches. So, let me read James 5, 1 through 7a. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So, let's walk through this. We'll keep the passage right up there so you can always have it, even if you don't have your own copy of the Bible. Let's look, first of all, at the first two and a half verses. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, this is pretty strong language. Rottenness, misery, corrosion being convicted in a trial, having your flesh burned in a fire, and then skipping down to verse 5, also being slaughtered. And thus it is that the Bible uses the strongest of language to describe the agonies of hell, and that's exactly what's going on here. 
And some might ask, how could it possibly be loving to use this kind of language toward another person? Well, there's only way, one way it could be loving, and that's if it were true. If we were about to do something that would cause us eternal torment, wouldn't we want someone to warn us in the strongest language? Isn't that what we do in love when we warn a toddler to stay away from the fire? You know, to a toddler, fire is so intriguing. It looks amazing, unlike anything they've ever dealt with before. But we all know that even a tiny touch on our skin can cause enormous pain. And, of course, it's also potentially deadly. And thus it is that James is talking to people who have made riches their God. Gold and silver look so good. And riches appear to us. And by experience, they seem to be so helpful to us. So constructive. And yet, James says, they're actually deadly to those who embrace them. In Mark 4, 19, Jesus refers to the deceitfulness of riches. And that says it all right there. They appear to make one secure. But they do not. And James likewise wants us to see riches for what they truly are. At best, they are empty and unreliable. At worst, they are destructive. Now, the second half of verse 3 says, You have laid up treasure in the last days. And this is really the same thing that he says the next uh, verse later in the first half of chapter 5, where he says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Here James is talking about the timing of what the rich have done. They have laid up treasure in the last days, and they have fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. Both of these are really referring to the same thing. And the point James seems to be making is that we are now in the last days, the days just before Christ returns to judge mankind. And it makes our crimes doubly foolish when we commit them right before the one who sees all things arrives to judge. It's like speeding up when you see a speed trap ahead. It's like having a water fight in the hallway right before mom and dad come home. It's like running into a burning house to eat the candy in the drawer. It is doubly foolish because of the timing. Not only do people disobey, but they do it with blatant regard for the consequences ignoring the signs of his rapidly approaching judgment. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
The issue, of course, is the heart. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Around this part of the country, you can often drive by and see cattle eating away at the grass in a field. And on your way out, you pass them, and what they're doing? They're eating the grass. And hours later, you come back, and what are they doing? They're still eating the grass. They eat and eat and eat. There's no stress. There's no work. There's no restraint. It's all about indulgence. And even as the beasts are led to the slaughterhouse, if they get opportunity, they will take another mouthful of grass on the way. And it's the same for those who live lives of self-indulgence. Even as the day of divine judgment approaches, they're grabbing for every little bit that they can grab. We skipped verse 4. So let's now talk about verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see these people, their love of money has driven them to do things which gain them financial advantage, even if it causes others hardship. They cheat people. They hire people to work for them, but then they find them ways to pay them less than it's owed, or maybe pay them not at all. They do anything they can get away with to increase their bottom line. And we've all had experience with this. But they're so foolish to believe that they will get away from it. That they will get away with it. For James says that those wages which are owed to those who work for them are actually crying out to God for, against them. And the moans and groans of those people who have been cheated have likewise reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And when he says the Lord of hosts, when he uses that expression, don't miss the fact that here the Lord is portrayed as the Lord of hosts, which is the Lord of armies, the Lord who rules over his army. In other words, it's a kind of military image here. Here's this approaching judgment day coming, and God is marshalling his angelic armies to bring vengeance upon mankind. And they, they're being provoked by the cries that they're hearing from those who are the victims of the cheating that is taking place on earth, all in the name of making more money. And then verse 5, the first half, tells us the essence of it all. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. 
you know, it's not necessarily wrong to be, it's not necessarily wrong to be rich, according to the Bible, but it is wrong to live in luxury and self-indulgence. And this is a message that we in America really need to hear. It goes on in verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And this says that their sins have gone so far that James says that they have condemned and murdered righteous people even though they're too weak to do anything about it. He seems to be talking about rich people using their wealth and power to deprive the righteous poor of their rights and of their living. Think about defrauding people of their retirement money. Think about slavery. Think about sexual abuse. Think about human trafficking. Think about sexual indulgence and then covering it up by getting rid of the problem through abortion. Think about the creation of pornography. All of these, I think, are illustrations of what verse 6 is talking about. And if money is a person's idol, if money is what drives a man, then he's not looking to treat others justly, much less lovingly or generously. His eye is on the bottom line. And his choices are made to that end, even if other people get hurt in the process. A few years ago, we, there was a video that was uh, being circulated called um, Merchants of Cool about how corporations are doing things they know damage society and damage young people in particular, all because they're trying to make money. There's no conscience, there's no effort to, to uplift society or to help people. It's just make money, even if you have to turn them against their parents to do so. Even if you have to turn them into behaviors that you know will destroy them. If it makes money, you do it. It's exactly what verse 6 is talking about. Now, we've walked through that, this passage. Let me make a few uh, few uh, applications. The first one is what's very obvious here, the danger of money. Now, I've been to the Dave Ramsey seminar, and honestly, I found very little to disagree with. And uh, in many ways, it helped me a lot. But one thing about it troubled me deeply. In my opinion, Dave Ramsey ignores the main point the Bible makes about money. The main point, and that's that money is dangerous. Think about what Jesus said. He talked about money a lot. And he says a number of things. He says we should be generous. 
He says that we should be good stewards of the money that we are, being, we are given. But by far the main thing he says is that money is dangerous. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Luke 6.24 and Matthew 6. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves for yourselves treasures in heaven where they don't destroy. For where your heart is, your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He told them a parable in Luke 12. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for, your, for years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he spoke like this over and over again. And the concern about money didn't begin with Jesus. The Old Testament says the same thing. Proverbs 23. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For it suddenly sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward the heavens. Proverbs 28. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings. But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And Ecclesiastes 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, those things which take away our money also increase. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? That's the whole thing. It's just having them. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep because he wants more, because he's troubled that it might go away. And the warnings about money didn't end with Jesus either. Paul says similar things. Think about 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And notice that in, in uh, Paul's description here, it's not just money. It's the love of money that is so dangerous. And you know, one way that many Christian people manifest a love of money without even realizing it is through frugality. Sometimes frugality is just another way of loving money. And it can be used as a justification for many sins. Saving a buck becomes more important than loving your neighbor or doing justice or treating others the way that you would want to be treated in the marketplace. We've got to be careful. And so if you're going to listen to Dave Ramsey, which I recommend you do, make sure to supplement it with something that addresses the danger of money. For instance, David, Paul David Tripp's excellent book, Sex and Money. Pleasures that leave you empty and grace that satisfies. Can't recommend this enough. There is a close tie between having lots of money and misusing money. You can see this in a number of ways in the Bible. Jesus calls money in Luke 16, he calls money unrighteous mammon. As if if there's money, it's going to cause problems. He says it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And it takes basically a miracle in Matthew 19. It's going to be a problem. That doesn't mean it's a fatal problem. And there are many times where the Bible condemns the rich person without even mentioning the fact that he misuses his money. As if it's safe to assume that a rich person is an abuser of money. When from other passages we know that it's not necessarily true. But it's so often true that sometimes they don't even mention that the person misuses it. They just say he's rich and that's enough. I'm not saying, as I said, that it's necessarily sinful to be rich. Paul makes that clear in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So here's guidance given, instructions given to the rich person, and it isn't go out and sell everything and give it to the poor and live as a poor person. It's about generosity. It's about blessing others. It's about not letting it rule in your heart. So it is possible to be rich and to be godly at the same time. But it's dangerous. Clearly. Now why is 
James making such a big deal about riches. Isn't this something everybody struggles with? And aren't there a lot of things that we turn into idols? Well, that's not necessarily an easy question, but let me share some reflections on that with you. Of course, all sin cries out for God's judgment. All those who live for this world ought to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon them. Secondly, Jesus said that the rich enjoy their reward while they live here on this earth. Woe to you who are rich, he says, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Luke 6. Over and over again, the Bible speaks of the ease of the rich and the suffering of the poor in this life as something that's going to be flipped, that's going to be reversed in the life to come. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then another thing. We need to think about the purpose of riches. You see, God is the one who makes one person rich and another person poor. He makes one strong and another weak. And why does he do this? Well, part of the reason, he makes some strong so that they can help the weak. And he makes some rich so they can help the poor. But instead, many use their strength to become more strong and use their wealth to become more rich and exploit the people who can't defend themselves. The opposite of why God gave them the riches in the first place. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only reason why God gives riches and strength to some. He also gives them good gifts so that they can enjoy Him and enjoy His love for them. Just like we give our children good gifts. And we see that in the passage we just read in 1 Timothy 6.17. It refers to God who provide, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So He gives generously to us and He wants it to be a blessing to us. But the person who only enjoys God's gifts and doesn't share them, and doesn't see that God's given them so that he can help others as well, that person is ignoring perhaps the biggest reason why they were given such gifts in the first place. You see, money is meant to be used. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible condemns all kinds of storing up of money. But there is an unholy tendency to store up money which the Bible condemns strongly. It involves putting, putting one's trust in money, accumulating not for usage, but for as an end in itself.
Calvin said, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moths. But on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. That's why God gives us money and riches and means is so that they can be aids and helps to human life. And Jesus said that money is to be used to make friends in heaven in Luke 16.9. So that we might be received into eternal dwellings as a result of what we did with our money. Doing things that please God and please and make him our friend and please others who are in heaven who might welcome us and celebrate us because of how we've used money in our lifetime. Now the Lord could have made everyone self-sufficient and independent so no one needed help from anyone else. But God loves and God gives so he wants us to learn to love and to give as well. So he creates some to be givers by giving them something to give. And he creates a blessing to them, others who need help. So giving is a blessing. You know, when a person loves money, he wants and, and wants money, he is blind to the true treasure in life. You know, Jesus doesn't really care about what we do as much as he cares about what's in our hearts. What do we treasure? What do we hold dear? And if our hearts are filled with money, he doesn't, then he doesn't, then we're not treasuring the Lord. You know, in Luke 12, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, that is, desiring things that aren't yours. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, is that a message Americans need to hear. We Americans need to hear. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And speaking of Luke 12, you know the benediction that I uh, use each week the second part of it comes from Luke 12, 32, which says, in the words of Jesus, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Well, do you know the verses that come right before that? Jesus says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after those things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then it says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now let me end with verse 7, which says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now here we 
you know, it's sort of like a little bit of a curveball because he's been talking to whoever he's talking to, he's been blasting them pretty strongly. And yet now he calls them brothers and asks them to be patient. Well, what seems to be going on is that he's now turned and he's talking to believers. He's been directing his attention towards those that have been oppressing the believers. And now he turns to the believers and says, Therefore, in light of the fact that God's judgment is about to come, in light of the fact that what people are doing to you, for instance, is not forgotten by God, but is going to be punished by God, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So when you're mistreated, when you're cheated, when you are exploited, and when you're tempted to burn with anger in response, James reminds you, victims of abuse even, that you don't need to take vengeance yourselves because God's vengeance is coming very soon. And ultimately, this is a source of great comfort to those who have really been abused by those who are rich, those who are strong. You know, one of the great things about Christianity is, unlike what the world says, it's not irrational. In fact, it's, it, the Bible just appeals to our sense of logic. Be reasonable about this. You're being asked to give up something that has no eternal value and that can ultimately do you no good in the long run in order to acquire something that is of eternal value and can't be lost and it is the most logical thing in the world to do just that to not give our hearts to riches or any other earthly treasure but rather give our hearts to the Lord, for he is the true treasure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak so strongly, because Lord, sometimes we need to be woken up. And this morning we need to be woken up, dear Lord, perhaps to some inclinations of our own hearts in the direction of making money an idol. And we pray that you'd help us. For Lord, we want to treasure you above all things. And we want to hold on to the money that you give us very loosely and be willing to use it in your service. Protect us, O Lord, from the tendencies that uh, so many fall into of being lovers of money. And likewise, dear Lord, we thank you for warning us about the, uh, the dangers of being frustrated and angry when we see others who are exploiting and who are abusing. And we pray, dear Lord, that 
in those in the face of those kinds of things that you would help us to be patient and to remember that uh, even if people escape justice here on the earth they won't escape it long for your vengeance is coming and Lord on that day may we be found in Christ putting our trust in him and serving him and not filling our bellies with worldly pleasures as if they are the real treasures we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Amen